You're listening to episode number 96 of the Journey to Manifesting podcast. Are you ready for this one? Because this one is going to be a good one. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is Sarah Prout. And I am honored and grateful to be here with you today. At the time that I am recording this specific episode, it is December 2019. We are about to enter a brand new decade. Can you believe it? I just, I am absolutely blown away at how quickly the last 10 years seem to have just flown by. And so I thought to commemorate the end of this miraculous decade, I would like to share with you my journey from being on welfare as a single mother to creating a million dollar business. And I did this in 10 years. Actually, I did this in in seven years, if you count from like 2010 to 2017, which is when I had my very first million dollar year. But I want to tell, I want to, how do I put this? I want to share with you. I want to tell you all of the details as to how I got there. Some of the milestones, the very memorable milestones that supported me on the journey forward, because ultimately that's all we have. We have the journey forward. And, uh, With that in mind, this might be a little bit of a longer episode, so settle in with me, make yourself a cup of tea or pour yourself a glass of wine or take me with you on your walk or your run or wherever you are. This is from my heart. This is unedited, unscripted. This is just completely a brain dump of all of the highlights that have happened over the last 10 years to get me to where I am today. So I'm going to be going on a journey with you from the ages of 30 years old to 40 years old. I just turned 40 last month. And what unfolded in those 10 years. And hopefully you will be inspired as to what you can not only create in your own life, but it will remind you of the power of persistence. It will will remind you, hopefully, of the power of consistency. And it will also remind you that we're all human beings. I'm a human being, you're a human being, and we have failures. We have fears, we have detours and hurdles and some of the most you know, heartbreaking situations can occur and it's okay because it's all part of the journey. And this is the journey that I want to share with you today. So let's dive in. Okay. So let me first take you back in a little time machine back to 2009, December, 2009. I was still living with my ex-husband. I had moved back, even though we were separated under the same roof. I was struggling to make ends meet, and it wasn't safe for me to be out on my own financially yet. And he agreed, even though it was a really toxic dynamic, that I could live there while I figured out what I was going to do. And so that was... 10 years ago. I still can't believe it that that was that time. We'd already been separated for probably around nine or 10 months by that stage. And I'd moved to Queensland from Melbourne. And then I'd moved back again because it just wasn't stable for me. So I had to figure out what I was going to do. And it definitely got worse before it got better. It was just, we tried to uh, have counseling to be 
kind to one another. We tried everything that we could. And ultimately, it was just, I had to leave. When I was brave enough to leave, I was ready to leave. And so I left that 10 years of mutual and toxic dynamic behind me. And I struggled as a single mother on welfare. And at first, I lived with my mother, and she helped me out as much as she could. And then I found the perfect place to live. It was this tiny apartment. It only had a few rooms in it. It was the worst place on one of the best streets. And at nighttime, I could hear the ocean. I moved to a place called Noosa on the Sunshine Coast, which is this beautiful tropical paradise location. And it's it's actually really tough to live in a tropical paradise location with little money. However, the quality of life I had was incredible. You know, there was amazing weather. And so this little apartment became available. It didn't have any of the modern conveniences. There was no air conditioning. There was no heating. So it was cold in winter and really, really hot in summer. And it didn't have a refrigerator, washing machine, dryer. I couldn't afford those things. And it was mine though. I had to pay, I believe it was about $310 per week which was a lot for me back then, especially on my welfare check and a little bit of child support to cover my expenses. And I had $30,000 worth of credit card debt. This was because, you know, behind the scenes, there was some, uh, how do I put this? There was some interesting management of funds after my marriage uh, failed and my first marriage failed and it left me with a higher education fee. So for those of you that have like college fees in Australia, it's called a higher education fee and it's offset by your income and I ended up with $30,000 worth of debt. So it was a very difficult situation for me to decide to leave knowing that I had all of this debt in my name and no way to pay it off. And so after uh, bills, expenses, electricity, water, phone bill, food for the kids, the, you know, the, the cost of rent, there was about $10 a day really to live on. And most of the time that meant that I had to pay the food bill out of that. And so I had to get very creative. And if you are new around here, then I, I quite often tell the story of walking through a supermarket and I only had two 20 cent pieces, two 20 cent coins, which are Australian currency. And I had to feed myself and my children for two days. And I was thinking, how am I going to do this? And I was walking through the supermarket and I saw this uh, uh, no name brand of pasta and it was 38 cents. And I'm like, yes, this is great because I didn't add any extra tax on things back then. So I went to the checkout and, you know, they, the lady said to me, did you find everything you were looking for? And I'm like, yes, I did. Thank you. And I took it home and I had a bottle of tomato sauce or ketchup for my American friends. And that's what Thomas, Olivia and I had for about 48 to 72 hours. But it was an adventure. That's what we chose to look at it as at it as. This was our opportunity to recalibrate our lives. I mean, for any of you out there that have left a relationship and been divorced, it's it's uh, it's a new way of living. It's about adapting to not only your environment, but being as a family unit without somebody that's usually there as well. So it was a very interesting dynamic for us to get acclimatized to. So that was 20, 2010, 2010. Oh my gosh. And at that time, and I, 
my gosh, there is so much to go over, but I'm going to go there. I've got it all listed out, so bear with me. In 2010, I also (laughs) had been getting really good at connecting with people on social media. In fact, one of the reasons that my first marriage disintegrated and I was ready and brave enough to leave the toxic dynamic was because I started to find my voice on social media and I began to get a little bit of a following on Twitter. And back in 2009, I had over 20,000 followers on Twitter, which most people didn't have back then. This was before uh, mainstream media or news outlets incorporated Twitter feeds into their media strategies. So I was one of the first people to do that, along with people like Gary Vaynerchuk. He refers to me as, uh, what does he call me? Twitter OG, which I found out stands for original gangster. So I was one of the first people around there on Twitter to talk to people and spark up conversations and build community. And this caught the attention of a publisher, the second largest publisher in the world, Wiley Publishing. And I met with an editor who called me up Actually, long story short, I set an intention that I would land a book deal. And within 10 days, I kid you not, out of the blue, this book editor contacted me and said, I'd love to meet up with you for a coffee. And she said that I, she would love me to write a book on social media and how I could teach and educate and train other people how to use their voice authentically on social media. And that was when... <laughs> I was commissioned to write The Power of Influence, the easy way to make money online. And I had I dabbled in a little bit of digital marketing and online entrepreneurship, but nothing major. It was just a way of me finding my voice and empowering myself to connect with other people because I had two small children and sometimes it's hard to get out of the house. I didn't have my driver's license and the internet and my laptop was really my window to the world. And so this really began that uh, that momentum of empowerment for me to find my own center. And so this book was published. I was a single mother living on welfare Uh, I had not much money and this book wasn't doing very well and it's completely out of date now. It's 10 years old, so don't even bother going and getting it because it's really out of date. It doesn't even have any of the the current platforms for social media such as Instagram or Pinterest. This was before then. Um, So that was a really interesting journey of how a lot of the major books bookstores in Australia were collapsing. They were going into bankruptcy at that time as well. So there were a lot of returns on the book. So I, you know, I still don't make that much money off it. And it was only, I think it was $5,000 I got back then, which helped me to fund my new life in Queensland, Australia. But it was during this time that I met and fell in love with a guy on Twitter (laughs) of all places. And he was living in Hollywood. He was 25 years old. And I had just dismissed him because he was always trying to get me to email to my list. I had a small list uh, and, or he wanted me to tweet out to my 20,000 followers. He was curious as to how I had amassed that much following as well. And we'd just become friends. We'd been friends for about a year or so online. So we met, or we actually met online, not face-to-face in early 2009. But this was early 2010. 
And it was like a light switch went off. And this was when I was single. I'd been single for about six or seven months and I was trying online dating. And uh, this guy just, it was like a light switch went off and I just fell in love with him. And we started talking. We had our first Skype conversation, which was about three hours long. And he used all of the money that he had in the world to fly across the world to come and meet me and my two children. And at this stage, I still didn't have a refrigerator. I was using those um, those cold bags that you get from the supermarket to keep my food cold. And I didn't even have a couch. So I remember saving up. I remember not eating and saving up $30. <laughs> God, this is crazy, to go to the local Goodwill so I could buy something for him to sleep on when he came to visit because I thought, you know, he could be he could be a serial killer. He can sleep on my couch and stay under my roof, but he's not going to sleep in my bed. <laughs> but we fell in love, and as soon as we met each other, it, we, it was like we had known each other for lifetimes. And this was really confusing because I didn't have any money. My welfare check had to go just that little bit further to feed another mouth. And he didn't have any money, and yet we knew we wanted to be together. So we had to get very creative about what that would look like. And so we both had an interest in the law of attraction and manifesting. We both have a really powerful entrepreneurial streak. And so we put our powers together to create programs. And I did back then something called the Influence Blueprints, where I would look at somebody's website and I would, uh, I think the price was about between 100 to $200 and I only got a, a few of these. And I would review their website and look at the places that they could weave and integrate more authenticity into not only their social media marketing, but their message on their website. So I was somewhat of a branding expert and it was a creative way of me connecting with other people. And this got Sean and I from month to month. And he went back to the States and I was doing some odd jobs. I was doing some copywriting for an iPhone repair company and a shoe blog. And I was just doing, you know, odds and ends to just get some cash in the door to make sure that I could pay my bills, feed my kids and not declare bankruptcy because that was probably the next right action to take in 2010. My mother kept on insisting, hey, Sarah, you've got to declare bankruptcy because the bank would keep calling and the bank kept on calling. And thankfully, my phone got cut off because I couldn't pay my bills. And so that got rid of that problem that nobody could contact me other than via email when I would go to a local either coffee shop. There was no Starbucks there. So it was a coffee shop that had free Wi-Fi and I'd sit there and I would uh, get my emails and do my influence blueprints and, of course, chat to my boyfriend that lived in Hollywood. And he came back to live with me for three months. And again, we kept doing the odd jobs and we kept holding the belief that we wanted to be together. And one thing that we thought would be a lot easier was if we moved back to Melbourne because the cost of living wasn't so much. And we created our very first iteration of a publishing company where we created, I'd already, I'd already done this once back in 2009, where I created a compilation book. And I was going to do this with another series as well. And we decided that it would be called the Adventures in Manifesting series, because I'd already created a program called Adventures in Manifesting that had had about 20 or 30 or so students go through the program. For the sake of keeping a relatively long story 
shorter. (laughs) I won't go into the details of how we created the Adventures in Manifesting series, but it was an amazing experience in terms of our entrepreneurial journey and getting to work with some of the most incredible people around the world that were sharing their real life stories of manifestation. And we had so many amazing featured teachers from The Secret as well. And so this This development in our business took us from living on welfare to earning about $80,000 in our first year. So in 2011, Sean and I decided that we were going to move to Melbourne together. This was a really big decision for Sean to make because it meant that he was committing to living with me and the kids in Australia. And by this stage, you know, the, the Power of Influence book had already launched I was off doing like some little media appearances here and there, which are so small, but it was still fun. And in, I think it was later 2010, I got divorced officially. You know, I'd filed all of the paperwork and that had been taken care of. So by the time 2011 came around, we had the momentum of these two books that we were creating. The first one was Adventures in Manifesting Success and Spirituality. And the second one was Adventures in Manifesting Healing from within. Oh no, sorry. It was health and happiness. It was a later one that was healing from within, but they were purple and green and they were amazing. And we had, I believe it was thousands upon thousands of copies printed and the people would contribute to the collective energy of the project and invest in their own copies to sell on the website. Lots of coaches and consultants and people in the wellness space. So we decided that going to Melbourne would be better for business because it wasn't so much of a tropical location. And we also thought of the book stock because we would have to house a lot of the book stock in our home. One, we didn't have the space. And secondly, Queensland is a very humid temperature, so we didn't want to spoil all of the stock. So by, I think it was... Was, I'm even not sure. I think it was about February, March, April. Let's just say April 2011. We were back in Melbourne. We had rented a house that we thought was amazing. It was an upgrade from what I was able to afford. Slowly but surely, I was paying back the debt. Um, we bought our first dog, a little cookie Lala. And then later, we got a dog called Merlin as well. And as I said, we met, uh, we uh, launched the Adventures in Manifesting series And there was this famous photo that we had. So within four days of Sean and I meeting each other, we fell in love. Uh, You know, it was just, it was meant to be. We just felt so comfortable with each other. And there was this selfie snap that we took of each (laughs) of one another on the beach. And it became like our famous photo that we often refer to. And when we announced our relationship on Facebook, we used that photo as well. And I submitted it to a contest on the Tiffany and Co website. And it ended up being used as one of the front page images to represent true love. So that was a big win for 2011. And then so we we launched this book series. We really hustled. We grew the business. We were really serving our customers. And so 2012 rolled around. And on my 33rd birthday, Sean proposed to me. So we were navigating behind the scenes a lot of those very, very difficult dynamics of uh, navigating being a step parent, which we're doing, navigating also 
a lot of the emotional issues and baggage that I had after being married for 10 years in such a difficult situation that I had almost PTSD symptoms where I was not trusting Sean. I was very difficult to work with. I'd have a lot of emotional meltdowns. And this guy, I mean, he was 26 years old. He was my rock. He was very, uh, he was on his own journey as well because he felt torn leaving his home, leaving his family, his friends, everything he had ever known to be with this woman that you know he loves. And yet at the same time, it's difficult to be with me because he had to stay and remain so strong and focused on the life that we were creating together. And um, this was a really challenging time for us because we had built this business. We had told the world, so to speak, about our love story and uh, our first, like I said, our first year in business, we did $80,000. So we called the welfare office and said, we don't need your checks anymore, which was awesome. And then in 2012, we did, I think it was about a quarter of a million dollars. And then it was in early 2013 that we moved into a rented million dollar home and we were living beyond our means. This home, and you may have heard me talk about this before, and I write about this in my book, Dear Universe, this was a home that I had a dream about seven years earlier. It was this home. It was one of the biggest homes in the suburb of Ivanhoe in Melbourne, Australia. It's no longer there. <laughs> For those of you that are, are listening that know of the suburb of Ivanhoe, uh, it was on the corner of Upper Heidelberg Road and oh, I can't remember what the other cross street was, but it was on the highest point. It had these big gates and it overlooked the city and the hospital. It was it was absolutely beautiful. And seven years earlier, I was still married to my ex-husband and I had the dream. And I said to him, I had a dream that I lived in that big house up on the hill. And he said, yeah, right. You'd have to be a millionaire to live there. So when Sean and I were looking at rental properties on the rental app domain.com.au, I'm like, that's the house I had the dream about. We have to live there. And the weird thing about that was that I had never seen the photos inside the house, but I knew what it looked like. This was what was really weird. I remembered what it looked like from the dream. And from a manifestation perspective, this was just verification to me that everything unfolds energetically in the non-physical realm first and we're just merely catching up to it. So when I saw that this house was available for rent, I knew we had to apply for it. I knew we had to live there. It just felt like a full circle moment of awareness that when my ex-husband dismissed me saying that, oh, you'd have to be a millionaire to live there, that in my little mind, my little scarcity mindset back then, I thought, yeah, I'm going to live there one day. I just know it. I know it in my bones. And so, you know, it was a really challenging time because we stretched ourselves just a little bit more. We believed in abundance, but yet we hadn't created sustainable abundance. We had created enough to get by, but we hadn't created the systems and the resources and the team to support us that could bring in a consistent income on a consistent basis. And so living beyond our means meant that we were experiencing a lot of fear. And in fact, our car kept on breaking down. This old sub that we had, it kept on breaking down. We didn't have the, the resources to pay to get it fixed. Um, 
and it was 2013. This was the same year that we decided that we would have an international wedding and get married in Las Vegas, of all places. We had visited Las, Ve- Las Vegas, <laughs> Las Vegas. Uh, we'd visited Vegas in 2011. Some very dear friends live here, and we decided that, hey, Vegas is a great place to get married, and a destination wedding seems great. So we decided that we would have this destination wedding without having the resources. So this is a theme that you're going to hear a lot throughout today's episode, the idea that we make the decision and then we take inspired action without having any proof that we will be supported. Now, this can be one of the most empowering things you can do, and this can also be one of the dumbest things that you can do especially if you want to avoid stress. So we decided that we would get married in Las Vegas on the 21st of September because one of our favorite songs, Earth, Wind and Fire, do you remember the 21st night in September? We're like, yeah, that's a great day to get married. Let's do it. So we created another couple of books, compilation books that were specifically all of the money that we would get from the investments from the authors would go towards funding that wedding. The only thing was two weeks before the wedding, I found out that I was pregnant Now, this was something that we in no way had anticipated or planned for. So with all of our hustling and uh, being really creative with our budgeting and our finances, even though we were living beyond our means in this huge house that was massive, I mean, the land size, to give you an idea, was 23,000 square feet. It had a lot of bedrooms, a massive pool. Uh, It was so big that we didn't have enough furniture to furnish the whole place. So there were a couple of rooms that were completely unfurnished because it was so big. Sidestepping right here. So I found out that I was pregnant and we had managed to get the airfares handled. We'd managed to pay for the wedding. It was coming up. I had my dress. Thankfully, we had some financial support from Sean's parents, which you know I'm going to be eternally grateful for because that made the day more magical than it would have been had we not had their support. And finding out that I was pregnant was a huge shock. So I went to the doctor had it confirmed. I was 33 years old. Sean and I had discussed having babies, but not until after we were married. We were going to do it the traditional way, maybe even wait a few years. And we told Sean's parents that I was pregnant and the look on their faces, especially Sean's dad, he was like, what? (laughs) And I was thinking, oh no, I'm going to have morning sickness as I walk down the aisle. I'm going to have to go on this long plane flight from Australia to America And I'm a little bit scared because I'd already had one miscarriage when I was 20 years old. I was 16 weeks pregnant and I lost my very first baby. And I thought, oh gosh, there is more of an increased risk the older you are. And I was 33, so I was afraid. And sure enough, I started miscarrying. And so I lost the baby about, I think it was a day or two after we told Sean's parents. So about 12 days before we had to get on a plane to go to Vegas, um, And that was confronting because I had to emotionally shut down processing the feelings to do with the miscarriage and just keep moving forward and focus on choosing to be joyful that I was marrying the love of my life and that we had gone on this extremely long journey that not only was Sean willing to stay in Australia with me, his residency was approved, we were financially stable enough for that to get approved, and we were really celebrating this day that we thought would never happen in a million years. 
So on the 21st of September 2013, we had the most amazing wedding in Las Vegas. My family, my mum, my dad, my sister, uh, my auntie flew from the other side of the world and my friend Bronya to support this wedding and lots of Sean's friends were there and family and it was a really beautiful and memorable occasion and it just made us fall in love with Vegas and then we flew home and then in November we would fly back to the other side of the world to go to an event hosted by Mind Valley called Awesomeness Fest or it's now called A Fest in the Dominican Republic and this would be not only a business expense because we were part of a business mastermind, uh, it would also be an opportunity for us to have our honeymoon. The only thing was a couple of weeks before we flew to our honeymoon, I found out that I was pregnant. So on my 34th birthday, we had the scan, we saw the little heartbeat and everything was going beautifully well. And the doctor said I was safe to travel, even though I'd had a miscarriage not too long ago, just to be wary, just to take things fairly easily. And so we went to the honeymoon in the Dominican Republic to A-Fest to celebrate with Mind Valley. And on the second day into the event, second or third day, I started to bleed and I started to have a miscarriage. And I just remember, you know, thinking, oh, this is the worst possible time this could happen because Sean and I cut corners. We didn't pay for travel insurance health travel insurance. So we had to make the decision, a really quick decision, and thank God we had the resources to do this, to change our flights, to fly back to Australia. And we had to spend the whole day in New York not knowing what would happen, knowing that I had to get on a plane from New York back to Australia. And my kids were staying with my mother in Queensland, and then we would have to go back to Melbourne. So it would would be a series of flights and really scary flights and not knowing whether or not the baby was okay. I mean, a really dumb decision not to get health insurance. And um, I had so many beautiful people support me during that time at the Dominican Republic, uh, a couple of really close friends who I consider soul family now that were really supportive during that time of not knowing. And sure enough, when I did get to an ultrasound machine, there was no heartbeat. And again, a second miscarriage in, I think it was nine weeks. I was like, oh God, what's going on? Everything was perfectly fine. So we went back out, you know, our energy was really down. We were, it was difficult for us to work. We were getting physically sick, not able to work. We bought, during this time, we bought a third dog, Pepper. <laughs> you know, she was an impulse purchase. We thought, yes, we will buy a third dog. We will have three dogs, even though we're finding it difficult to approach the business financially. We'll buy another dog. That's a great distraction from not being able to sustain a pregnancy. And Oh my God, over 10 months. So from the time I lost the first pregnancy when just before we got married to 10 months after that, I had five miscarriages in a row. The longest I was able to retain a pregnancy was about 11 weeks. And um, that baby, she was a slow grower. We found out she was a girl. That was a really painful, painful miscarriage and five in total. And I thought, my body is broken. We're living beyond our means. Poor Sean, he was uh, doing laps around this 23,000 square foot property, had beautiful landscape, grounds, garden. I mean, it was like a park. It was so beautiful. And he was 
like physically throwing up because he didn't know how we were going to pay the bills. We had our rent was about $1,300 a week and we only had $2,000 in the bank account. And for me to go back to the hospital to get my scans, to have my blood tests, to get checked out, we would walk down to the hospital because our car kept on breaking down. We had a big tax bill. We're like, what the hell is going on here? Universe, what's going on? We we actually now looking back know that perhaps that big house that we lived in, the house that I had a dream about seven years prior to moving in was haunted because that's a story for another day. We had some really spooky, eerie uh, visitations. Let's just put it that way. And that house had bad karma. Uh, whatever it was, I had no idea that I would lose five heartbeats in that house just time and time again. And so we made the decision to move back to Queensland because that was the place where I felt happiest. Remember, I moved to Queensland from Melbourne after I separated from my first husband. It was so beautiful living by the ocean. My soul could recalibrate. We could um, strategize our next steps, how we would create a sustainable way of running this publishing company. By this stage, we had launched a business named, it was called Verbi.com, and it was a self-publishing division of the compilation book model where authors would come to us and we would help them to design their covers, to edit their manuscripts, to uh, get good printing deals because we had established really great relationships with printers since at this stage, the Adventures in Manifesting book series had had over 75,000 copies of the book in print and around the world, which was crazy. (laughs) So we were struggling financially. We were trying to keep things afloat and we were curious how we could enter into that next chapter of our lives. So behind the scenes, we really had to hustle hard to get the money to get a down payment, or not a down payment, enough money for a bond, the first month's bond and rent, to move back to Queensland. And so we sold most of our stuff and we left this big home behind us, this big, I I don't want to call it a mansion, but it was a massive home that had, had these energetic problems and we packed up everything that we owned into a truck and we took our car that kept on breaking down and I drove the car with the two children in the back and one of the dogs and Sean took the other two dogs in the truck and we drove 27 hours from Melbourne to Queensland. And that was a journey and adventure on its own. And we went to our new home, which we had found, that was this beautiful, oh my God, it was beautiful, three-story home that was probably just a little bit less in rent per week, but we decided to take the active faith approach and move into this beautiful home. It overlooked the ocean. It was in a gated community. Uh, It was, I think, seven doors up from the ex-prime minister of Australia's house, Kevin Rudd. He lived in the same little community. And this was our time to recalibrate and to really make sure that we knew that we had the capability and the potential to create a sustainable business. We were at least curious how we would do this. We'd launched more book products. We had more clients. And it was about five or six weeks into the move that I found out that I was pregnant again. Now, this was the sixth time that I was pregnant in 11 months. Six pregnancies in 11 months does a lot to your body. I was stressed out. And What was beautiful is that our bedroom overlooked the ocean 
And at nighttime, we would open up the windows and we could feel the breeze and we could hear the waves roaring. And it was just a short walk down the hill right to the sand. There was nothing between us and the ocean. And so it was so beautiful to have this opportunity to grow this life and to think, okay, I'm, you know, I've been beaten up by this journey of uncertainty. Please, dear God, keep this baby alive in my belly because I am tired of being pregnant, losing the baby, being pregnant, losing the baby. It was exhausting. It was tough on our relationship. We were newly married. It was really tough on Thomas and Olivia, my other kids, because they were sick of seeing mummy sick, mummy in pain, mummy not sure what's going on. And they were sick of celebrating the news of a new baby. And so we decided to celebrate each and every milestone. Each and every day that I was able to remain pregnant was a reason to celebrate because we had been through the drill time and time again. And it was around the when was it? The five week mark when I was pregnant that I began to bleed again and feel like, oh God, I'm going to lose this one as well. And so we went to the hospital and Sean had to go and pick up the kids. So I stayed in the waiting room until I would have an ultrasound. And I'd been to the very same ultrasound machine only, you know, the year earlier to find no heartbeat. So I knew what to expect time and time again, no heartbeat, no heartbeat. And, um, I wrote a letter to my baby, and I've said this before in my talks from stages around the world and, and different podcasts, and I've written this in my book, that I wrote the letter to my baby, dear soul baby, it's, it's safe if you want to come. I'm okay whether you stay or do you decide to leave. You know, I, I honor your process, and, you know, this is just paraphrasing. Uh, and I was okay with that. But at five weeks and three days, I saw this strong little heartbeat thumping. And I was so happy. And I decided to celebrate that. The doctor gave me a 20% chance that Lulu would survive and that I would get to nine months pregnant because of my age, because of my history of recurring miscarriages and uh, being diagnosed with a genetic disorder called MTHFR, which I believe had nothing to do with the fact that I kept losing the babies. It was just the fact that I was probably not giving it enough time in between pregnancies to fully heal because of my age, because of the stress. You know, they, the only reason that it happened was divine timing. And I really trust in that process now. So during that time, and so that was. 2014 and by March 2015 Lulu was born and we had moved from the beautiful house overlooking the ocean we were actually only there for 8 weeks because we moved in you know it was one of those epi- one of those situations where it was probably too good to be true because it was it's very difficult to be internet entrepreneurs when the internet speed is so painfully slow so because we didn't get good service there because the house was on the side of a cliff overlooking the ocean we had to move so we moved to a smaller place right near the internet exchange and in March 2015 Lulu was born and I nearly died at the same time that she was born because the epidural wore off and I experienced excruciating pain. Like I, I went to another place. I had a near-death experience. Uh, that's a story for another day. But I had my baby Earthside with me. Finally, I had this beautiful soul baby in my arms. It felt safe. Life felt safe again. 
And it was because I was comfortable with that uncertainty that I was able to hold her. It was because I kept taking those steps of active faith and always held the belief that she would come to me at the perfect time and not a moment sooner. And it was when Lulu was first born that Sean and I began to get curious about how we could really start to educate ourselves how to create that sustainable business. We talked about it and we decided to make my brand, sarahprout.com, and my love for manifesting the law of attraction our primary focus. And we really wanted to take the brand to the next level because we had had enough of the the self-publishing model. And, uh, you know, we'd got verbi.com to a point where it was like, okay, we, we like this business, but we don't love it. We're not passionate about it. So we signed up for a course called The Machine from a company called digitalmarketer.com. Uh, You guys might have heard of the guy. His name is Ryan Dice. This is his program. And we absolutely owe everything within our business to learning everything that we know from digitalmarketer.com. And so we decided to create a sales funnel. And this was really fun for us. So we created a a lead magnet and what's known as a tripwire product, which is a low cost product, $9 PDF. And then, you know, the core offer, which was our manifest program. And so we really began to dial dial this in and play with Facebook ads. And it was, you know, Lulu was really little and she would sit next to me in the little bouncer while I was working. And I wanted more for her life. I wanted more for Thomas and for Olivia. And it was during this time that I said to Sean, hey, maybe we should move to America. Maybe we should, you know, like we've been through such a huge time. Maybe we should consider it. Now, at this point, keep in mind, we didn't have a sustainable income. We had downsized our life. Like the house we were living in was maybe a sixth of the size of the big house that we were living in. It was beautiful, but uh, we were only making enough to just get by. And we knew that making that decision to move from Australia to America meant that I had to get permission from my ex-husband, which thankfully he said yes to. Um, that is one of the greatest blessings. And that usually the visa process take can take anywhere from 18 months to six or seven years. We moved from Australia to Las Vegas in September 2015, the same year that Lula was born. We decided, we made that decision, there's that word again, we decided that we would have a garage sale and sell everything that we owned in the hope that the universe would support us with that decision. A little naive maybe, maybe even a little foolish, but all of the money that we earned from the garage sale and from our really humming along sales funnel helped to provide the US government with enough information and proof that we actually had a sustainable business and we could move to America. And this was an amazing milestone for us when we went to the U.S. consulate in Sydney in 2015 and they stamped our passports and said, yes, you can move and you have the the opportunity to go. We were gone as soon as we could. And so we moved to America with only a few boxes of stuff, three children, 
and three dogs. And we didn't know where we were going to live. We knew we would have to put the dogs in a kennel for a little while while we found our first place. And we stayed in a hotel and we found a, a place within the first two weeks, which was awesome. So it was a huge adjustment getting the kids acclimatized to American culture, which is radically different to the school culture in, a, in an Australian school. And my kids, Thomas and Olivia, are absolutely incredible human beings. The fact that they were able to adjust so seamlessly. This was such an exciting time for Sean and I because we had our beautiful soul baby, Lulu Dawn, who was about six months old, and Thomas and Olivia were thriving. We got Olivia into Taekwondo, which she loves. And we really started seeing the potential for growth within our business framework. And I was writing blog articles. Some of my articles were getting shared hundreds of thousands of times. And it was like we really cracked the code. Uh, one of our our products, the Ancient Manifesting Ritual, launched as well, which has been used now by over, I think we've had over 80,000 buyers. And my uh, Ultimate Intention Setting Worksheet has been used by over 500,000 people. So I went from having about 6,000 fans on Facebook to now having close to 800,000 fans on Facebook. This was this was an incredible growth period for us in 2015. The move to America, it just felt like it was the right thing to do. Life was more exciting. Life was more convenient. And it felt like I was really stepping into that next chapter of my life. And at this stage, I mean, when I had Lulu, I was 35 and I had to have the conversation with Sean, okay, maybe we want to have another baby before it's too late. And we had to be willing to go through the process of miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage again. Because, hey, let's let's be real here. I wasn't even medically supposed to have a baby. I was told when I was 19 that due to having polycystic ovarian syndrome, that it would be highly unlikely that I would carry a baby to full term. And so I had a sneaky suspicion that maybe getting pregnant isn't the easiest thing for me to do. Maybe staying pregnant isn't easy either. However, by the time Lulu was, oh my gosh, I think she just had her first birthday in March, I found out that I was pregnant in April with another baby. I think Sean and I decided that we might try or at least be open to trying and I got pregnant on the th on the very first time. And I remember the day that I told Sean that I was pregnant, there was a huge rainbow in the sky. And again, I was open to the possibility of all possibilities. I was okay with the uncertainty. I was willing to do that work again. And I I believe that it's because of that willingness that she was my effortless blessing. Uh she was born later the same year at 37 weeks after 10 hours of labor. And uh, on the day that she was born, I had a C-section, the day that she was born, there were rainbows in the sky the whole day. And I mean, we live in Las Vegas, so it hardly ever rains. And there was a rainbow in the sky the whole day. And so while they were in there uh, doing the C-section, I got them to tie my tubes at the same time, which is probably a little bit too much information, but I decided, okay, kitchen closed people. I think uh, 10, maybe 11 pregnancies is a little bit too much for one human being. Enough is enough. And so <laughs> when Ava was born, the kitchen was closed, which was a, a fantastic decision. And I think it was, what was it? Was it 2017? No, it was 2016 
that we had our very first million dollar year. So remember, we went from a business that was doing okay, maybe quarter of a million dollars, not sustainable, definitely way too many expenses going out the door than coming in. We had our first million dollar year. So we proved to ourselves that we could do it. And I mean, this this first million dollar year, 2016, I want you to isolate this in your mind. I had a baby. We moved countries and I made a million dollars. I mean, that is awesome. I'm just looking at this right now thinking that is an incredible achievement given that we decided to move country the same year that we moved countries. That's like, that's nuts. (laughs) So 2015 was a big year. 2016 was a big year. One baby was born one year. One baby was born the next year. Little Ava Moon was born. And then 2017 was a little bit more difficult. Uh, 2017, we... It was a little bit more difficult behind the scenes. I won't go into details, um, but there were some definite highlights. One of the highlights was that Sean was speaking on stage at the Traffic and Conversion Summit. So uh, remember I told you about Digital Marketer and how they were responsible for inspiring us as to how to create a sales funnel. So Sean had some great, amazing um, pieces of wisdom to share from the stage on how we had used Facebook uh, marketing and Facebook ads and messenger marketing. He was one of the earlier, uh, earliest adopters of Facebook messaging for marketing. In fact, Forbes.com refers to Sean as the messenger alchemist. Uh, he's great at it. And so this was his opportunity to showcase our success and how we went from uh, pretty much $5 a day in Facebook ads to a million dollars. Uh, in mid-2017, I'm just jumping ahead here, we moved into the house that we currently rent, which is amazing. It overlooks the Las Vegas Strip. It's beautiful. Um, I, la- I launched the Journey to Manifesting podcast, this podcast you're listening to right now, and we've had over 1.6 million downloads since then, which is awesome. I love you guys so much. And we also launched the Manifesting Academy And um, that was one of our biggest achievements. That was our very first subscription model where we have thousands of students that come through the doors every single month to learn how to manifest and to empower their emotions and their energy to create their own reality. So that that was one of the biggest turning points for our business when we created a subscription model. And then, of course, in October 2017, um, the horrendous Las Vegas shooting happened, and that was... That just cemented in my heart how much I love Las Vegas and how strong the people of Las Vegas are because that was an absolute tragedy. And as I mentioned, the house that we rent, um, I wrote about this in Dear Universe as well. The night that it happened, I got up to feed the baby in the middle of the night and my phone was blowing up because people were concerned about whether I was okay or not. And apparently there was a shooting going on down at the Las Vegas Strip. And the the last photo that I had posted on Instagram was from a date day that uh, Sean and I were having at Mandalay Bay Hotel the day before the shooting. So people would have been seeing that, seeing that as the date and thinking, is Sarah okay. And I remember waking Sean up and saying, hey, there's a shooting going on right now. And we both, uh, we sat outside on the balcony and all of the lights were off. Usually it's so beautiful and sparkly and lit up and there's helicopters in the sky and there was nothing. Even the the Luxor Hotel, which has this very straight light that lights up the entire Las Vegas sky was was off. And it was just this very somber 
very sad evening um, and one that I'll never forget, that the fact that, you know, Sean and I wouldn't ordinarily go to Mandalay Bay, but the thought that we were there at the exact same time as that shooter, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, and I'm just always thankful that, you know, that it, I don't even know what I'm thankful for. I think that it, it's a horrendous experience and very sad for Las Vegas, but I'm thankful that Las Vegas was able to bounce back and show how strong we are in spirit. And it also, like I said, it cemented the fact that I am a very hardcore Las Vegan and I love Las Vegas. It's a beautiful place to live. And I live a little about 20 minutes out from the Strip. We live near the uh, Red Rock Canyon and it was the best decision to make to move to Las Vegas. Um, that year, um, we also decided to take our business to another level and I decided to reach out to get a literary agent. So I put out a few queries and I wrote my book proposal for a book called Dear Universe. And I heard back from one of the biggest literary agents in the world uh, who I'm currently signed with. And that was a beautiful manifestation. So that was a huge turning point for my career. By February 2018, Sean and I got on a plane to New York to meet with the biggest publishers in the industry. And they all uh, went to auction to bid for what resulted in being a multiple six-figure book deal for me to write Dear Universe, 200 mini meditations for instant manifestations. Uh, that was really fun um, and a great opportunity for me to write out and to share um, a lot of the journey to manifesting, ironically, and a lot of the tools and resources and case studies that I've seen over the last 10 years working as a manifesting teacher in this industry. So the advance that I got was absolutely incredible. It was a combined offer from Hofton Mifflin Harcourt, an incredible editor over at HMH, and Audible.com. And that was the opportunity for me to really start to make my mark as a leader in the field of emotional empowerment because I believe a little bit differently to most manifesting teachers out there. I believe that it's your energy and your emotions that manifest your reality. And so I, so the book really showcases through these mini meditations, which are also emotions, how you can tune into what the, the universe is guiding you to understand. And so if you haven't got yourself a copy of the book yet, please go and get one. If they don't have a copy, you can ask for it. So amazon.com or Target, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you can buy books. And so February 2018 began the writing. I spent six months writing this book, and that was a real joy. You know, I locked myself away in a hotel room a couple of times to um, tune in. The first part, writing the first part of the book was actually really difficult. That was the fear-based section. And so I went through a lot of the old stories and uh, <laughs> difficult limiting beliefs that I had overcome in experiencing every one of those fear-based emotions. And Sean will attest to this, that it was a very difficult time for us because I was just rehashing a lot of the old negative patterns in order to write from the most authentic, real perspective that would be of the most service to the readers. And so by the time I went to the love-based section, that was the hundred love-based emotions to aim for, things radically began to, to change in our life and I could sense the stark contrast between the two. 
And uh, it was during this time as well that I realized, okay, if I'm going to be going out to the world in such a visible way, because I had decided that 2019 would be my year of visibility, uh, I would invest in speakers training and my mentors, my dearest friends and mentors supported me through this. And I was terrified. And I mean, terrified to truly tune into my voice and speak my truth. And if you listen to earlier episodes of Journey to Manifesting, you'll hear it in my voice, in the tone, in how I can articulate my thoughts and my ideas that I was in no way as confident as I am now. And so I took one step at a time and investing in the speaker's training was something that I knew would be great for not only videos, but podcasts. And of course, speaking from a stage, which I never thought in a million years that I would love to do as much as I do now. And I was invited um, by Vishen Lakiani to speak at the Bali Awesomeness Fest or A-Fest as it is now called. And remember all those years ago where I had that miscarriage at the A-Fest in the Dominican Republic back in 2013, this felt like a full circle moment for me to be invited to be a speaker on the Mind Valley stage. It was really fun and I got to meet some great people and have some amazing experiences. And you know, I I turned it was on my birthday too, so it was my 39th birthday that I spent in Bali surrounded by friends, some familiar faces, old faces, new faces, and it was just a beautiful opportunity to not only find my voice, but to share my message. And that was a great stepping off platform for me to have one of my very first speaking gigs. Now I'd had speaking gigs before in, uh, when I was (laughs) out on the mini media circuit back doing the power of influence, I did a few keynote speeches, but nothing to the same volume that being on the mind Valley stage would actually help me to achieve. There have been uh, numerous other ways that I've partnered with Mind Valley over the last 18 months, such as becoming a meditation leader on the very popular Solvana app, which is incredible. Um, I also have been interviewed by Vision for their Mind Valley, I can't remember what it's called, Mind Valley Quests, I think, or Insight. Not, it's not a quest. It's the mentoring session that they do, the monthly mentoring session. So that was really fun too. That took place in Bali. Uh, that was a really exclusive, intimate conversation about how I got to where I am today. And so then 2019, I can't believe that we're already at 2019 or the end of 2019, because this has really been the biggest year for me where I have utilized all of the navigation tools to get me to where I am today, getting comfortable with uncertainty, taking inspired actions to take leaps of active faith, which sometimes defy logic and seem a little bit stupid. But in the long run, you don't lose, you learn. Okay. So it's like there is always an opportunity to find a blessing in the lesson as cheesy as that sounds. And so 2019, of course, was the launch of Dear Universe, and that became a bestseller. Uh, 
I would have loved to have hit the New York Times bestseller list, but it didn't quite happen. We did sell the amount, the the volume amount required to hit the list, but it didn't happen yet. I'm still confident and still hold that intention one day as a manifestation that I would love to be a New York Times bestselling author. And when the day happened that I didn't hit the list, I haven't spoken about this publicly, but it did it did sting a little. <laughs> you know, I did all the work around it. We did all of the right things, but it just didn't get across the finishing line. But that's okay because so many thousands upon thousands of lives are being changed by the book. And this was an opportunity for me to do, I think it was over 127 interviews on different podcasts and meeting with so many amazing people, doing print media, doing TV, a little bit of TV here and there. And uh, definitely podcasting interviews were the biggest form that I went out and spoke about my story this year. And we decided, and this was a huge detour that I hadn't anticipated. This was for me to partner with a company called Goalcast to create a viral video that would document my journey of surviving 10 years of domestic violence. And as I sit here today, that video has had over 51 million views. Like I said, this year has been my year of visibility in ways that I could never have imagined. And what I didn't anticipate was the amount of people that would associate with the story of domestic violence. Almost one in every three comments, which correlates with the statistic of domestic violence, is from women and some men that have experienced exactly the same thing, that have traveled, well, not exactly the same thing. We all have different versions of a very similar story with our own different characters and our own different storylines. What I didn't understand and I could not have anticipated was the implications of that video. And I'm going to go into that now because I think it's very important as I wrap up this decade to voice this. I didn't realize that, how do I put this delicately, that there would be assumptions that would be made about that video. There would be... um, literal translations of that video that were not intended. And what I mean by that is that there were over two and a half hours of footage of me speaking to a small audience and sharing all of the details, the linear narrative. And there's no way that that, all of that could be condensed into just six minutes of a viral video. I didn't think of the consequences or the impact that would have on my children and the, and the relationship that they would have with their father. I didn't think of the impact that would have on my ex-husband. I had no idea that it would be this big. And if I had my time over again, I would do it a little bit differently. But it's now my responsibility, if I am truly as the video, the message of the video is be the love that you believe you deserve and your whole life will change, which it will. And so part of that is me taking responsibility for my actions and seeing that, yes, the story, the way that I tell it does paint the picture of me being somewhat of a victim. And I don't want that to be the message that's out there to the world. I don't want to be a victim of domestic violence because I was not. And I'm not a survivor either. I was a participant in domestic violence. I It was a mutual exchange. And yes, I mean, I am not blaming myself for the violence that happened in our home because my ex-husband, he can be on his own journey to healing with that one. We had a toxic dynamic. There's no other way of shaping it up and, and, you know, wrapping it up with a pretty bow. It was ugly. It was messy. It wasn't all bad for 10 years, but it was pretty done horrific for me because I was a lonely, 
I was unfulfilled and I'm pretty sure he was lonely and unfulfilled as well because we just weren't meant to be together. We weren't. And with those uh, heated discussions, there would be violence. There, In the early stages, there was a lot of violent interactions, lots of violent communication, violent arguments. And, you know, with sparing the details because I, I don't want to dive into any more details anymore. I've spoken about domestic violence more than I ever would like to, but it's important that we talk about this because because it's a very sensitive topic, that it's about me feeling unfulfilled, putting unfair expectations onto another human being. He wasn't equipped. He was just on his own journey to healing. And what's really sad is the amount of people that say about my ex-husband that, oh, he should burn in hell or he should rot in jail or, you know, he should be hurt or murdered or whatever. That really hurts my heart because part of this 10-year journey, part of this 10-year journey has been the journey to healing, the journey to seeing the perspective, stepping aside from drama, from the he was wrong, I was wrong, we were wrong, to hey, we were just two human beings because here's the thing. Yes, I was beaten when I was pregnant, but I would not change a single Thing because I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be able to document this 10-year journey of impacting millions of lives around the world had I not had the courage to step up, to speak, to be a spokesperson for some people that cannot speak up. And yes, my story may not be as gut-wrenching and devastating as other people out there. And I have no doubt that people experience the most horrendous and horrific violent attacks. And I haven't been through that. I'm the first person to admit I have not, but I believe that there is no excuse for violence, big or small. Doesn't matter how big the bruise is, doesn't matter how severe the violence is, it still happened and it's unacceptable. But we need to take responsibility. I needed to take responsibility for my role in that as well. And this is part of a much bigger conversation and it sounds very intense right now, but high-level overview here is that I've done a lot of healing to get to where I am today and I wish nothing but you know well wishes and um, good luck <laughs> to my ex-husband on his own journey because he's got his own life I don't spend every day thinking about him or obsessing about him or um, you know the only reason I tell the story now is to empower others to remember that they have the power to create their own reality if they're not happy in a relationship they can leave, they can start again, and it is possible. And I know this because I did it. I left with nothing. Like I've said before, I had two suitcases, two children, and over $30,000 worth of debt. But that all helped me to get me to where I am today. And so one thing that I did for myself this year, this was my 40th year. I turned 40 last month, and it was in early June that I decided that I was going to have a tummy tuck. Uh, I had, as I mentioned, I'm done having children and the weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss journey has taken or had taken a huge toll on my stomach. And I've written about this before. I had so many wrinkles on my tummy and I had a, an abdominal separation. And as I was starting to book these speaking gigs, these amazing speaking gigs, I wanted to feel very strong in my core as I'm standing there on stage and speaking with conviction and helping to communicate effectively to people about emotional empowerment. I wanted to feel my core for the first time in, you know, 18 years. My son turned 18 this year. And 
I did that for myself. And so it was early June, I decided to have the operation. And then on June the 23rd, I had a tummy tuck. But what I didn't anticipate was how much the healing would involve. It was such a rough journey. For six whole weeks, I slept in a recliner chair in my office. I had a, um, they they took, I think, uh, in all up, it was about a 10-pound weight loss around my, my midsection. I had some liposuction, I had some skin re- removed, and they did the what's called an abdominoplasty where the muscles are stitched. And it was a really rough journey to healing. I had no idea. I completely underestimated uh, what that surgery would do to my body, to my psyche, to uh, to the disruption of my business. And I'd booked speaking gigs for the rest of the year. So I was like, okay, I've got to heal really quickly. And so I had the tummy tuck in late June. So I thought, okay, all of July I can heal. I can take to heal. And Sean, God bless his heart. He supported me throughout the whole process. He uh, changed my catheter bag. He helped me empty my disgusting drains that were full of blood for the first week. He gave me my meds. He really took care of me, but he didn't anticipate that we'd be sleeping in separate rooms for about, I think it was about eight weeks where I I just couldn't stand up straight and I was healing really, really slowly. I just had to trust my body, trust in my body's innate uh, innate ability to heal. I was doing um, sound frequency healings. I was doing lots of Solvana meditations and Reiki sessions and all sorts of things. Anything that I could throw at this energetically, I was trying to speed up the results. And um, it was probably early August that my incision opened up and I had three massive holes on my tummy tuck scar. It was crazy. It was like it just split and I could see inside the hole. And I went to my plastic surgeon and I said, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have to be on a stage in 18 days. I'm sharing the stage with Tony Robbins, Pitbull, Susie Orman, uh, who else was there? Trent Shelton. And uh, there, there's so many other amazing people. And and I was going. This was like one of the biggest speaking gigs that I had this year. And I had to go and stand on the stage. And I had 18 days to heal. And so I did some energetic healing. And within the first 48 hours, the first tiny little nostril-sized hole closed up. And so there were two more. And I had to wear a sanitary pad, you know, the ones that you use when it's that time of the month, like a maternity size pad over the wound because it was leaking. And so I had to get on a plane to New Jersey still with an open wound. And I haven't told anybody this, but when we went through the airport security and they make you go through the scanner, the scanner picked up that I had an anomaly. They said that I had a large cavity in my abdomen. And if I was storing anything in there, because I had to, you know, like if I was going to smuggle drugs in my abdomen, that'd be the time to do it. Not that I did it, but they, they picked it up and it was so embarrassing to have the pat down and to have to confess, yeah, I've got a pad on my open wound of all things. And there's a little hole in there, which is probably about the same size as, oh, I wanted, I'm just looking at my AirPods case right now. You could probably have fit the entire AirPods case in the hole in my abdomen. That's how grisly it was. So no one would have known that I was standing in heels on a stage in front of probably about a thousand people 
with a hole, two giant size holes in my abdomen. And the the surgeon was great. He said, you'd be surprised how many people just go as if the show must go on, which it does. And it did. And it healed. And I'm okay now. And I don't regret a thing. Even though my daughter tells me that my new belly button looks like a cat's butthole. Thank you very much, Olivia. But it looks amazing. I am so grateful to have had that opportunity to now try on what it's like to have this new body. You know, I've never been able to um, feel comfortable and confident in a dress because I've had, you know, just a little bit of belly. And and that's okay because wherever you're at, there you are, right? I had made complete peace with my old body, but I just wanted that strength in my core, which now I have. And thank you, 2019, for allowing the space and the opportunity for me to do that for myself. I've done some amazing traveling this year. We went to LA a few times. We went to some amazing parties with some incredible people and met some amazing people. We went to Canada. I went to Whistler for the first time, which was incredible. I went to we went to Disneyland a few weeks ago. There's been amazing opportunities to travel. And then in October, we went back to New York for another keynote speech, this time at the Edison Ballroom for an event called From Passion to Profits Live. What was really awesome about that is that the person that was introducing me to go on stage was Justin Guarini, who was the in the original American Idol. He was one of the final two contestants and the other contestant was Kelly Clarkson. I didn't know this because I'm not American and that was a long time ago, but it was really cool and I got to meet Justin Guarini and see his magic shine from a stage and he introduced me, which was pretty cool. So lots of speaking gigs, lots of speaker training, lots of interviews, lots of opportunities to use my voice and also behind the scenes, and maybe not so much behind the scenes at the same time. My company, the company that I own with Sean, Soul Space Media, we grew an amazing team. We started to restructure. We started to think how we can grow and how we can scale. And so 2020, oh my gosh, we've got so much amazing stuff lined up. I've got new content for the Manifesting Academy. Um, There are new events lined up for 2020 as well, one of which I'm speaking at the Omega Institute in New York, in Rhinebeck, in August next year, and that's going to be an amazing two-day manifesting workshop. Uh, I have a new website coming soon. And so 2019 has really been an opportunity for growth, massive growth. You know, I've signed a lot of books. I've shaken a lot of hands. I've spoken to so many people. I've answered a lot of messages I've replied to a lot of comments. And so I've learned a lot of lessons. There have been a lot of love, a lot of tears, and a hell of a lot of synchronicities and amazing people and support from listeners just like you that have have taken the time to listen to a giant-sized episode like this one, which is a decade in review. And so I would love to hear your feedback on what you thought of my decade. Please feel free to leave me a review or send me a message on social media. You can DM me on Instagram at Sarah Prout or leave me a message or a review on the podcasting platform that you are currently listening to this show. That would mean the world to me because my intention for the journey to manifesting is that it can reach and inspire as many people as possible to remember that anything is possible. Anything is possible if you have the right amount of belief that you are capable of much more than your imagination can conceive. 
if your heart's in the right place, if you take inspired action, if you look beyond the perceived limitations and obstacles and hurdles as an opportunity to grow, this is your time to make sure that the next 10 years are amazing. And oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what it would be like to do a decade in review in 2030. Oh my God, I'll be 50 years old. What will it be like? What will I tell you guys has happened between now and then? You know, who who would have inspired me on the journey? What books have I written? Um, you know, what have you done in that time as well? This is a great time for you to reflect on the last decade as well. The highlights, the lessons, the journey, the detours, the highs, the lows, the in-betweens. I mean, totally separately behind the scenes, I've watched a lot of amazing television. I've watched so many great movies. I have eaten, oh my gosh, I've eaten at so many amazing restaurants as well. I've met the most fabulous people that have done the most wonderful things. And I'm I'm just so grateful for each and every one of you that I've crossed paths with because I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that everything happens for a reason. It's a synchronistic reason why you are here right now listening to this episode, listening to these words, listening to my decade in review. And what I wish for you is that you get to experience and celebrate as much joy in your life as possible and that you make sure every day is a reason to celebrate a milestone, even if it is in the face of failure, because that's where the magical ingredients of manifestation are activated. That's where you believe in the power that you have to guide your energy and guide your emotions. So that's it from me for today. Thank you so much for listening to the longest episode that I have ever recorded. Uh, and like I mentioned, please share it with your loved ones. Leave me a review. Write me a review. Click the five-star button or whatever star you think it is. <laughs> Hopefully it's five. And uh, until next time, enjoy your journey to manifesting. Thank you.